Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And today we're here to talk about why sexy Pocahontas is never a good idea for a Halloween costume. And stay tuned for our biggest takeaway from this episode. We are recording. Today's episode is something that I have been wanting to talk about for a while, and I know you have too. Because it's that time of year, and if we're being brutally honest, Target told me it was that time of year like a freaking month ago. I know, same. Costco also. Costco's costumes have been out forever. Yeah, okay, whatever. You know, let us have September. But anyway, this is a time where we start to think seriously about fall, but also about Halloween. And if you're like us, you've probably been inundated without with about a million costume questions if you have kids or ideas if you're going to anything that remotely involves Halloween parties, school events, whatever. But this year, we're asking you guys to take a moment and consider the concept of cultural appropriation as you're picking out that Halloween costume. And we've talked about this stuff in one of our first episodes. I can't remember. Go back and listen. Do you remember which one it was? By chance? I think it was one of our very first episodes. And I think it was the Why White Women Should Care episode, actually. Got it. Okay. So we talked about this concept briefly during one of our very first podcast episodes. I think it was the Why White Women Should Care episode. But in looking to explain this concept a little bit more, we found an amazing website put together by the Laurier Students Public Interest Research Group, LSPERG for short, called I Am Not a Costume, which is really worth a read, especially for the resources linked at the end. And they run an annual campaign to raise awareness around this issue. But since we know you guys are busy, we just wanted to hit the highlights from this particular website. One of the things, like the top things that they talk about is they know, and we know, most people don't pick out a costume with the intention of being racist or transphobic. You don't go and try to hurt people. But regardless of our intentions, costumes that appropriate other cultures still perpetuate harmful stereotypes, and they justify more aggressive and violent situations. And so if that means that we're not intending to, but we still might be doing something that is hurtful, we need to know what it is. So let's talk about cultural appropriation. What is it? And this is also from the article. And that is taking significant elements like symbols or dress or words or practices from one culture, removing it from the original context or meaning, usually because you want to seem edgy or, you know, have make money or whatever. But this can happen in so many different forms. But around Halloween, it often involves wearing costumes that rely on specific cultural signifiers and stereotypes. So dressing up as an ethnicity, a race or a culture that's not your own is problematic and racist in the sense that not you are so racist, but it flies in this system of racism. When we talk about being racist, that's what we're talking about is like the structures that have been set up. And so we're playing right into that game if we're not aware of it, if we're not really thinking about stuff. So it's up to every one of us to work together to ensure it doesn't continue amongst our friends, groups, families, and communities. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think we're going to get more into the nuances around that here, because that was a very high level definition. And we will go into specific examples. We will get real granular here. But and you will have one very, very, very clear takeaway of one very specific thing never to do. Right. But one thing is that like you just said, Sarah, costumes that rely on cultural dress and or stereotypes are offensive and oppressive. And I think we've gotten, you know, a very recent example of this that we've seen from Canada and Justin Trudeau. And I'm going to let you talk about this, Sarah, since we've had multiple discussions about this one. 
Yes. I mean, he, so they uncover, he's been the head of Canada for, gosh, I can't, can't even remember, long enough right now. And this picture got pulled up out of the archives of his friends or, or people like, it has not come to light in the many years that he has been prime minister. And basically, he wore brown face during an Arabian Nights themed party 11 years ago. And so for those of you who are, I mean, Arabian Nights, we're talking about sort of Middle Eastern theme, and he's wearing a costume, and he's a white man, and he painted his skin darker to be in line with the theme. And I guess it was very interesting to see some of the conversations that came up with my circle of people, because on one hand, yes, everybody knows, and this will be the point that we're going to drive home, like, don't wear blackface, don't wear brownface, like that is never okay. But some of the conversation was, but I don't see what's wrong with it. He was trying to amplify this role and really play into this costume. And to be fair, I think Justin Trudeau, if he had done this today, there would be a lot more conversations and negativity around it. But I think if it was something that happened long enough ago, and he's apologizing for it sincerely, there's an element of, at the time, I didn't know better. I was just totally going to talk about, and like, what to your point, like, I think you were just going to say the same thing, but like, we're talking about Canada, not in the US here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, because I think that what is important in cultural appropriation is the history of that culture that you're appropriating in that is available to you and that you know of and that is part of your country's history. So our overarching point, which we will discuss again, blackface and brownface is never okay, is particularly important in the United States because of the history of blackface in this country. Blackface has been in our country used as a tool by white people to mock black people to remind them of the history of black people and the slavery and the oppression. So that in particular is why that is never okay in our country to do. Canada, however, doesn't have that same history. So the context, I mean, although not acceptable, the context is different. I think that makes a lot of sense. It really, you know, as you say, it's never okay. But the biggest point that, I mean, I don't know if we even made it that clear yet in this conversation, it's about the power. It's about the oppression. It's about taking costumes that put people or a culture down or show some sort of better than, less than, or right that reminds you of that history. So this is why when my kids wanted to dress up in Anna and Elsa costumes years ago and wear the blonde wig, like that wasn't a problem. There was never denigration of like that Nordic race by the American people. Like that was not an issue. But if you look at, and I remember distinctly in my kids' history, they, someone for whatever reason gave them a feathered headdress. And one of my kids like, I want to be this for Halloween. And I remember taking a photo of my kid in it, sending it to a girlfriend of mine being like, who's involved in Native American culture. And I was like, please tell me that my instinct is correct, that we should not be wearing this. And she was like, hell no, you should not be. And again, if you think about our history in this country, what did white people do to the Native American culture? We destroyed it and we corralled it into small reservations. Like we oppressed Native Americans. We should never wear Native American costumes. Right. I think that if your reaction or if you're, you know, when you're thinking about your costumes or your kids' costumes for Halloween and you think, but it's just a costume, we would like you, as we're doing too, to take a moment to reflect on why you think that's the case. It's likely that, as we just talked about, your culture and identity 
has not been historically or currently trivialized, mocked, and viewed as funny or scary to dress in. If that costume that you're thinking about falls in that category, then you should really think twice. Because making someone else's culture or identity a caricature for you to wear for one night is not a good costume idea. Well, so then let's talk about what if you're trying to do something to uplift, right? What if there's a white kid who loves history and wants to dress up as Martin Luther King Jr.? Like, can we talk about what's that fine line there? That's the line. So that would not be okay. And, you know, this comes from discussions with Black people who I pointedly asked this question to. And the reason why that's not okay is because of the historical role that Martin Luther King Jr. had. And he was a key figure in the civil rights movement. And that was in particular a movement in which, you know, we've discussed and we will continue to discuss on this podcast where black people were trying to fight for equal rights. And so if you have a white kid who's dressing as Martin Luther King Jr., who's dressing as Malcolm X, or let's take an even more extreme scenario, who's dressing as Harriet Tubman, who was a slave, that's the line. Because those people were struggling against white oppression. To have a white kid you know, participate, be a leader in the civil rights movement, dress up as another, a white figure in the civil rights movement who was key, dress up as President Kennedy, you know, who signed the civil rights, or Lyndon B. Johnson, even not a great civil rights figure, but I mean, he signed certain things into law. That's okay. But when you start to move into the race that was being oppressed, that was fighting against your race, then that's where the line is. All right, cool. Well, then let's talk about some key tips. I know we have a pretty good set of structure here. Like, so maybe we can walk everybody through the thoughts that we've had about pockets of things not to do and things that you can consider. So item number one, key tip, never, ever, 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 ever. Do you want to talk about this Kansas City University student? Yes. So in 2016, a Kansas City University student went viral after she posted photos of herself wearing blackface, which just quickly on the history tip, it is a 19th century term that referred to the practice of white stage performers wearing black makeup in order to parody African-Americans in front of white audiences. And to be clear, that was a parody, which means they were making fun of African-Americans to white audiences. So while the student apologized on Facebook and said that she never intended for the picture to offend anyone, so remember the intent concept again, she was expelled from school. And David Leonard, who is a professor of race culture at Washington State University, broke this down somewhat. He said, blackface is part of a history of dehumanization, of denied citizenship, and of efforts to excuse and justify state violence. From lynchings to mass incarcerations, white have, whites have utilized blackface and the resulting dehumanization as part of its moral and legal justification for violence. Blackface is never a neutral form of entertainment, but an incredibly loaded site for the production of damaging stereotypes. The same stereotypes that underlaid individual and state violence, American racism, and centuries worth of injustice. So in other words, we'll say it repeatedly. This is history. Please do not make this part of your Halloween costume. Not okay. Never okay. Okay. So I think everybody hopefully got it by now, right? Repeat after us. Never use blackface. So another tip, don't wear Fulani braids. So we're back on hair. We loved that episode on hair. If you guys haven't listened to it, please do. But it, we're talking about it here because it's so important. In 2018, so just last year, Kim Kardashian received backlash for wearing these braids. It's also known as cornrows in common language, I guess. 
Kim Kardashian defended herself, saying it wasn't a case of cultural appropriation because she's fully aware that the hairstyle originated with the Fula people from West Africa and that she only wore them because her daughter, who is half African-American, asked her to. But I think the point here is that even if you're fully aware of what you're doing, even if you're married to somebody who's African-American, wearing cornrows as a non-African or Black American is textbook cultural appropriation. So don't do it. And I have that little asterisk here. I actually remember asking a black woman, well, my kids just came back from Mexico and they had the braids put in their hair. It was part of like, you know, the women on the beach were doing it. For some reason, they were like, that's not a problem. It's just part of the experience. That's fine. But if you're doing it for, I don't know, how would you break that down, Misasha, for you, like based on this? I get where it was okay for my kids to wear it. They took it out within a few days or a week. It was part of their Mexico experience, for example. But they're not doing it as a hairstyle day to day. Yeah, well, and I think they're also not doing it as part of a Halloween costume either, right? They're not putting on a wig that has cornrows in it or Fulani braids. They're not using that in a way that could be seen as appropriation. I mean, I think that, you know, that was a braid that was put in their hair in Mexico. It was part of the experience that seems very different just gut feeling wise. And part of this is a gut check. And if you think that there is something wrong with it, ask someone. And if you really think there's something, if something is going off within you, there's probably a sign. That's probably a sign rather. There is something wrong with this. And if this is all new to you, that's why we're here to talk about this too. So you can start to be aware of this as you see it around you. So then speaking of hair, locks, dreadlocks. Wearing dreadlocks as a white person has become really contentious I don't know. Like, how do you feel about dreadlocks? It's tricky, right? I don't know. And I don't know how I would feel if, like, because I'm not black, right? So if I, you know, I can't even pretend to assume how I would feel as a black person. But I think it's important to be aware that this is very cultural for some black people. And so this may be a point of contention. So if you're thinking about this, you may want to really think about the why behind it for you. Yeah. And don't do it like casually being like, oh, there's no problem with this. Just be aware that if you choose to do it, you're opening it yourself up to conversations, which may be exactly what you want. Maybe you want to have these conversations with people, but realize that it is significant emotionally for a large number of people in our country. I think that is one of our underlying points to right under never ever wear blackface is to recognize that there are a lot of different things that go into cultural appropriation and to be open and aware of those conversations that may result. And we never talked about this yet, but what about, you know, I remember one year our Halloween costume was like a disco and it came with a gigantic wig, like a fro wig. And at the time I wore it, not even thinking twice. And now I'm like, huh, it was actually a fro wig. Like I didn't actually connect the two that it was actually pretending to be black hair and natural black hair. And it's funny to me that me of all, not me of all people, I mean, we always are constantly learning. So I realize I'm still always learning and on the spectrum of learning, but it never even occurred to me. And that probably was also inappropriate. Well, let me ask you, if you got that same wig today, would you wear it? No, probably not. So? I mean, I would. I don't know. Like, in what context? I think sometimes I had a clown wig that was the same side of sort of thing, but it was like big and curly. Like, okay, you're rolling your eyes at me. I see you. But... You know me. I mean, I do goofy stuff. To me, it wasn't. I never thought that I was dressing like a black person when I put the wig on. Right. Now I'm questioning, like, was it a black person wig or was it just like bigger? But if it's hair, I don't know. But 
I guess, well, and if you're thinking about the 70s, right, the disco era, that was the era in which natural hair sort of came back or, you know, out of the civil rights movement, you had a lot more examples of natural hair for black people overall, because there was the ability to have that expression. Mm -hmm. And I literally never made that connection until at this point in our conversation that I did that. So I was like, oh, yeah. I did. Well, and I think you're aware of that now, which is something that you weren't up until literally right now. I like the 45 seconds ago. So thanks for being with me on this journey, everybody. So that's where it's interesting, because I think one of our next point is don't dress up as someone whose race differs from yours. When I put that outfit on to be a disco dancer with a big wig, I literally didn't even think twice that I was trying to dress up as someone not of my own race. I was literally like, that's just me with a different hairstyle. Like it never occurred to me. So can you talk to me about this in 2013 episode? Yeah, well, and this goes back to our first point as well. But in 2013, actress Julianne Hough was slammed for dressing up as Uzo Aduba's character, Suzanne Crazy Eyes Warren from the hit Netflix show Orange is the New Black. And if you remember these photos, she appears in the orange jumpsuit with her hair up in twists. And she's in blackface. So, you know, just all sorts of things happening there. And she said she apologized, saying she was a huge fan of the show, the actress and the character she created and didn't mean to offend anyone. I think this is an important incident to note because you might think, well, isn't dressing up as a fictional character you admire kind of an exception to the rule? And it's not. Even if that person is not an actual, you know, living or historically, you know, accurate person, you still can't wear blackface. And I think, you know, in some discussions, there is a line like we were just talking about too, you know, like if you're a white kid dressing up as MLK, that's not okay because of MLK's role within the civil rights struggles. But if you're a white kid, you know, dressing up as LeBron James and you're not wearing blackface, that seems different. And I gut checked this with, you know, my husband, among other people. And it's different because LeBron James has not spent his entire career struggling against the oppression that white people have been putting on him. So that is more of a celebration of LeBron James, you know, arguably one of the greatest of all times in terms of athletes. And this is where I want to say, like, when you say don't dress up as someone whose race differs from you, if a young black child wants to dress up as somebody of a different race, I think the paradigm flips because there's not the same history of power struggle and oppression and injustice done. So if a black kid wants to dress up as Benjamin Franklin or whatever, like my gut is like, and it would be ridiculous, by the way, I can't even imagine, white face is not a thing, it was never done. But like, if this black kid decided to powder his face as much as possible to lighten his skin to look like Benjamin Franklin, first of all, I can't even imagine a world in which that would actually happen. But kind of points out the sort of ridiculousness of trying to change your skin color to exemplify a character in a reverse sort of weird kind of way, right? Yeah, like historical figures that are totally separate from oppression and struggle. I can't picture like a black kid dressing up as, you know, Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis on any spectrum. But I mean, I think that there should be, I think don't dress up as someone whose race differs from yours is like a good rule of thumb, but it's not always applicable. I think it depends on who that person is and what their role is in, you know, oppression and privilege and all of those things that are underlying our country's history. And we'll get to Disney because I have a whole bunch of Disney questions in a second. But in the meanwhile, another rule, don't wear a hijab. 
So unless you're actually Muslim, the same goes for the niqab, burqa, or any other item of clothing worn in Muslim countries. When a Westerner travels to a Muslim country, when there's a strict dress code for women, they're often encouraged to wear less revealing clothing as a gesture of respect. So, you know, say you're in Morocco and you wear a headscarf when you're traveling, you're visiting a mosque, that's fine. You are actually complying with the rules of that culture. It's a good sign. Wearing it as a Halloween costume comes across as mocking and disrespectful, even if it's not your intention, because there's a whole significance to the wearing of a hijab. So don't do that for Halloween. And I think this slides nicely into don't wear any other traditional costumes, not of your ethnicity, because of that same line between mocking and Halloween. In 2015, Indian writer Artie Olivia made a list of the most common culturally appropriated Indian accessories and explained why it's offensive to wear them as fashion statements. For example, and we've discussed this in that same earlier episode, you might think that a bindi, which is the colored dot worn on the center of the forehead, is really beautiful and, like Gwen Stefani before you, feel compelled to wear it. But Olivia explained that to her this is offensive because wearing it as a fashion statement takes away from its deep cultural significance the symbol of higher consciousness and the same goes for many other commonly appropriated indian accessories just to name a few although you know olivia does know that just like you know a headscarf if you're in a muslim country there are times when it's acceptable to wear some of these accessories namely when you are attending an indian wedding however halloween is not on that list Totally. So tell everyone the story when you were younger, the Japanese cultural story. Oh, yes. Well, I was a Japanese princess for many years for Halloween because I think that I had a kimono given to me by my relatives. And for the years that I could fit in said kimono, that was the Halloween costume because, I mean... Who wants to pay for Halloween costumes when you have a kimono? And that was distinctly different because that was my culture. And yes, was I wearing it for Halloween as a sort of awkward Japanese princess? Yes. But again, it was my culture. So much like if you're a black kid dressing up as Malcolm X, that you can do. So yes, but I did wear that for a number of years until I grew out of it. And I wonder, because my kids wear their kimonos, like they have all of that and they look white. My kids, you know, are three quarters white and they look it. And yet it is part of their culture. I'm curious if other people see them being like, what are they doing wearing those on Girls' Day? But it's different. That is part of their culture. So they're not doing it to mock anything. And they certainly would not be wearing the sexy version of them because I'd kick their butts. Yeah. Well, so that leads us to just please, no, don't wear a sexy version of anything that we just talked about. I mean, for so many reasons, but cultural appropriation being one of them. So for all those reasons, like we just discussed, you shouldn't be wearing geisha costume outfit unless you're actually Japanese or wear a Native American headdress unless you're actually Native American. But wearing a sexy version of any of those, like particularly bad. So please don't. So let's talk about Disney. Yes. So I also don't have daughters. So I don't live in the Disney princess realm in the same way that you do probably. But Disney is not an exception. So to be very clear about this, just because Disney has a costume or put out a full length movie about something does not mean that they did it in a historically significant, appropriate or non-culturally appropriating way. So How this pertains to Halloween is that you might think that dressing up as Pocahontas or Jasmine are exceptions to this general concept that we've been talking about because they're fictional characters. But the way Disney films have historically depicted people from different cultures has become a massive and long overdue talking point, given how many of those beloved characters reinforce racist stereotypes. 
right? Like you think about Jasmine, was she empowered woman? Like, right? It plays into whether it's racist stereotypes, but also gender stereotypes. Like there's a lot about, in my view, watching the princess evolution, and all of a sudden, you're having more and more stronger female characters come. Yeah, they're trying. But for example, like given its problematic history with race in recent years, they made a real effort with Moana. And you know, the it was an inclusive film, it was uplifting. But they released a costume of one of the film's main characters, which was a demigod named Maui. And many people felt that dressing a non-person of color child in a dark-skinned bodysuit is really similar to blackface. You know, my kids have a Jasmine costume, for example. And I'm like, you would never, I don't know, it was for dress up in our room, in our house, you know, whatever. But it's just like, it's a silky top and bottom, a pants set versus a dress set. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know, I don't know, do you, is that not okay to dress my kid in... She would just have a flowy top and bottom. I mean, I didn't let them out of the house in it, but. That's a tough one. I would say yes, because of what that represents. And I remember that, you know, I was thinking about back to dance now in ballet and the Nutcracker. And we always had the Arabian number in the Nutcracker Act 2, where the Sugar Plum Fairy goes to, you know, you're in the Sugar Plum Fairy world. And that was Nutcracker Primer 101. And there was a lot of issues around that particular scene, I remember, because in certain years they had actors or the dancers put on darker makeup. And so like what in the one that I did growing up in others that I've seen, there have been some that cut that entirely because of the cultural appropriation in that. And this is a fictional fantasy world, but it is very much based on cultural stereotypes. That's interesting. Well, and I also had, so MK of the Morning Mantra Pod, she has her own podcast as well. She and I were talking about Moana and how is it appropriate for blonde haired children to put on the Moana wig, like the dark, flowy, Asian thick hair? You know, is that okay or is that not? And how do you know whether that's a line that you should be crossing or not? I think that, well, so going back to our tip list, and this might help to answer that, is you, similar to what we've been talking about, don't dress up as anyone who's ever been oppressed. And I think that is, especially if you're coming from the oppressor side, which is largely, you know, white, because you might think it's fun to dress up as like, for example, a gypsy, right? And that word has a lot of negative connotations because the word itself is a slur. Many people don't even realize that the Roma people have been systematically persecuted in Europe for hundreds of years, which makes it especially offensive as a costume. So this rule also goes for any other group that has ever suffered from colonialism, oppression, or genocide. So I think that can help answer some of those questions because Moana is sort of an island nation is different in some ways, but not in others. And if you look at the view of, in particular, white colonialism, I think that makes it a tricky costume to wear. And especially there are so many costumes out there. I think that's the thing. There's not just like 10 costumes and you're, you know, looking at, well, I'm barred from five of them. There are so many out there that this is a chance for you as a parent to have a really great conversation with your kid, depending on their age, or you as an adult to have conversations with others based on this knowledge. In fact, I mean, I think some of the coolest costumes that make memes every year are things that glorify change makers in the world, you know, Rosie the Riveter, even like there's just really creative things that you can do to dress your children up and teach them about people to look up to or people who've done good in the world and role model them and have that conversation with your kids. So I guess, I mean, you're right. Use common sense, listen to your gut feel and think about 
who you're representing and have they ever been oppressed? And are you trying to sort of get away with it by being like just going with it easy or are you using your brain to think about it? Yeah. And so I think, you know, what is great, too, is that there is always room, as we keep talking about, and we have learned so much from, you know, even doing the research and doing our planning for these podcasts is that, you know, we all grow and learn from our experiences. So let's say that, you know, maybe you've done this in the past. Maybe you have been guilty of cultural appropriation. Where do you go from here? And I think the most important thing is that you don't sit in guilt. We need to attempt to do better by being accountable and educating ourselves. And so in even having these conversations with each other, we're trying to meet that point. And clearly we so believe in this because we have these conversations with each other. And I just admitted some of my stuff right here live on the show. Awesome. But I think this is, we've never even talked about it. In all the years we've known each other, I've never been like, hey, I never even thought that I shouldn't be buying a Jasmine costume for my kid. So... Interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that it is really interesting. And I think that, you know, in researching this episode in particular, I thought about a lot of different things that, you know, I've thought in the past, or especially like I didn't, you know, wasn't it really until talking to my husband and others that I saw the line between white kids dressing up as LeBron James and white kids dressing up as Martin Luther King, because I'm not black, I cannot see it from that way. So I think that's why it's so important to have these other narratives out there. And so that original website, I am not a costume that we mentioned that we, you know, tried to summarize for you. They have a set of resources at the bottom of their page that are super helpful in terms of educating yourself. So get on our email list and we will send that to you for sure. The second tip is start the conversation with someone who is engaging in appropriation, like ask them why they chose that costume, whether they realize that it's maybe not appropriate and could be offensive. It's going to be uncomfortable, but I think if you can fight the fear or, or discomfort, that actually is one of the first steps in bringing awareness and having people, you know, they say like, once you know better, you do better. Cultural appropriation is part of a larger system of white supremacy that perpetuates higher rates of violence and poverty for marginalized people. And it gives less opportunities for marginalized people to exist outside of harmful stereotypes. So if you do come from many places of privilege, it's okay to challenge it in practical ways. You can send your person who wore whatever to you know, this article to this podcast, it's just important to, like you said, you talk to your friends about this, you know, because we can't understand the experience of people who are sort of feeling the harmful effects of cultural appropriation, unless we have that conversation. Right. And I think that, and I know it is so difficult to start that conversation, right? Because sometimes, you know, especially if it's a close friend, but these are stereotypes that perpetuate generation after generation, if we can be that generation that really starts to break that down and create something better for the generations that come after us, like, I think that is impetus enough, at least for me, to start these conversations. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like a, hey, you know, you're doing something really awful. Like it can be some lighthearted, you know, you don't have to be mean going into that conversation. It's okay to go into it. It's a serious topic. And you can approach it lightly if you need to start. <laughs> So going on from there, if you are met with the negative reactions of people whose identity or culture you've appropriated, try your best to see where they're coming from and don't take that reaction personally. So which is really, really tricky to do because it is in our instinct, in our nature to get defensive, I think immediately, especially depending on how someone is coming at you, right? 
And what's important to remember here is that anger can be caused by many things. So if someone is in your face angry about what you are wearing, that may be very scary. But in this case, it's likely to stem from the appropriation being yet another thing to add to the pile of oppression that people face daily. And I think that we can't underestimate and I can't pretend to understand what it is like to be have the world continually look at you and run through all of the stereotypes in you know, their heads. And then you're confronted with someone who's actually dressed as one of those stereotypes. I think that would be particularly difficult. I think this is also really important. It's also necessary to not expect the person or the person that you've harmed or the person that's in your face, you know, upset with you to make you feel better about what you've done. So it's exhausting and frustrating to not only be marginalized, but also be expected to comfort someone who's participated in marginalizing you. So if you are looking for them to make you feel better to say, oh, no, it's okay, that's probably not going to be the reaction that's coming at you. Right. But then you find your own people, you go back to point number one, don't sit in guilt, right? But take the lesson, like open yourself up and be sincere about accepting that your intentions don't matter. You did wind up hurting someone figure out where else you could get that comfort or whatever, but it's not that person's fault. Yeah. And I think the fourth point is if you feel safe, I guess, I don't know if I like that word, but if you have the strength to do it, whether you've, you know, enacted cultural appropriation, or you're starting to think twice about what costumes to wear, talk to your people, your inner circle and wider community, whenever it's relevant. Be like, oh, I was thinking about buying the whatever costume, but I remembered that this would probably be inappropriate. You can talk about it. And I think the more you share and you're vulnerable, it builds trust. And then it, it also shows that you can be thoughtful and you can change and grow your worldview in more equitable ways, sort of for yourself and then for your family and your community as you talk about it. And then fifth, continue always to assess how you're moving forward. I talked on this episode about oops twice now where I've done stuff that I'm like, huh, I never thought about it. I think it's constant education. You've never arrived. We're always learning and curious. So we just need to be open to learning and continuing to encourage other people to do the same whenever possible. Yeah, I think that point can't be underlined enough for me because it is a continual process, right? So we're never there, but we should never feel stuck. You know, we are always learning, always growing. And we may, you know, we know that we have listeners who are also on the other side of this appropriation. To those listeners, we want to say that you have every right to be hurt and angry, you know, and this has been historically happening for centuries and it adds up in, you know, many ways that are hard to quantify. And even if you don't know where this discomfort is coming from, just trust your gut. You should know that even if you don't say anything about it, just know that your feelings are valid. Yeah. And I think to that point, find support for yourself and your feelings, whether it's a classmate, family member, friend, somebody, you know, it's okay to feel the way you do and get care for yourself, I guess, and like have a community or people that you can talk to about it versus bottling up that frustration and the hurt inside. I think that you not being aware of appropriation or you not being, you know, familiar with some of the appropriations of how your own culture is appropriated doesn't mean that it's your fault. So, you know, there's some education that everyone's going to be doing in this area because you also have the power to educate yourself. If you're not familiar, maybe you are super familiar and that's amazing. But, you know, knowing how your identities are represented and looking for others who have those similar identities, because it can be really satisfying to just sit with other people who get it. 
And you also are not obligated to educate everyone on why they need to stop engaging in harm like cultural appropriation. And Sarah just gave me this gigantic nod because it's true. Like you are not responsible for the actions of appropriators and you are not responsible for being the spokesperson for all people of color or, you know, all trans people or whomever, whatever group you're representing. So your time and emotions are your own and are not owed as a resource for someone who is learning how to not appropriate. So it's up to the people, as we just discussed, like the people who are figuring out privilege and understanding how their actions impact others to put in the time and work and continue to change and grow. Totally. Now, what if it's your turn to host a Halloween party? How do you make sure that it's a feel-good party, that it's an equitable party? The website also has a couple points here, and I'm really curious how you feel about them, really, because I was like, ooh, I never thought about that. We do host a Halloween stuff. We've never, to my knowledge, had some outfits that made people uncomfortable except for sometimes where somebody has tried to wear a sexy outfit. And I'm like, it's a kid's party. This is not appropriate. But I don't know. Like, I'm curious, would people actually do this? They suggested on this website, one, let attendees know right away that appropriative costumes are not allowed. Two is to choose a theme that isn't centered or hinged on appropriation. And that sort of tell people that it's going to be something about positive representation. And then the third is to have a plan for what happens if someone shows up wearing an appropriative costume. Are you going to ask them to go home? Are you going to ask them to change into a spare costume? You know, I have not personally thought of that level of hosting. That requires a level of commitment and uncomfortable conversation and putting it out there. But I think that's a fascinating way to make sure that you are growing awareness among the people you would invite to a party like this. Yeah, we don't host a Halloween party. I know that's pretty shocking for you to hear. But <laughs> yeah, I had never really thought about this. Or, you know, even when you have gatherings of kids for Halloween, because we do go trick or treating with other families, you know, what happens? Although in full disclosure, those families all contain people of color. So as we've discussed, I apparently have limited white friends. But you know, I have never really thought about having that conversation in that way. So I think it's fascinating. Like when I host conversations in our community that are slightly uncomfortable, I always lay out ground rules. And I honestly have just never thought of doing that for a party. Yeah. So it's a really interesting. There's just a lot of stuff to think about this conversation. First of all, this episode is turning into way longer than a lot of our regular episodes that aren't interviews. But I think there's a lot. I mean, obviously, we have the takeaway of don't use blackface. But this idea also, you know, you have the option of setting the tone for your Halloween or costume parties, or any kind of party, you have the option of, you know, thinking about whether the person you're representing through your costume has ever that group or that person has ever been marginalized. Is that appropriate? Just giving yourself that moment to think and think about proactively then looking for good role models or people you'd want to be and have your children like opportunity to have those conversations with your children about it. I think, I mean, all of it is basically addressing ignorance and figuring out how we can grow and learn together. And we have to start the conversation somewhere. Yeah. And what better place in some ways to start around, you know, a holiday that in for your American significance has so much behind it and so much fun involved in it and so many ways to have this conversation in a way that's not threatening, not aggressive, but can really be impactful for people that you know. All right. Well, happy shopping. Yes. 
If you love what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Also, if you're looking for some great email, who isn't, sign up on our website, dearwhitewomen.com, and get our weekly email every Wednesday that gives you special bonus insider tips. You can also find us on social media. Sarah, can you tell us where to find? Absolutely. On Facebook and Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and on Twitter at DWW Podcast. Find us there. 